On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome back to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we conclude our discussion exploring our community, distilling health disparities between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and the Foundation for a Healthy High Points Executive Director, Curtis Holloman. When we last left them, Curtis and Trent were beginning to discuss the pursuit of health equity and social influencers as a direct response to addressing the challenges caused by health disparities. Let's rejoin the conversation. It's interesting, you know, it, it sounds like we're really sort of talking about health equity as the beginnings of sort of a solution, a responsiveness to disparity, right? It's, it's the beginning of how we begin to deploy the resources that people need rather than just assuming that everybody needs the same thing as everyone else. Right. Exactly. You just nailed it there. And, and, you know, so having the conversation about disparities is certainly important because we can prevent those. Right. But then when you start, okay, you address the issue of disparity and you still see that there's, there's a difference here. Um, so then I think we have to look further at the members of our community. We have to look at, you know, where folks live, what are the other things that we need to incorporate or to assist or to help make sure the system responds differently. Sure. And the one aspect of this um, trend is the, the conversation we're all having about you know, structural uh, differences and systemic changes. Mm-hmm. And we know those issues um, are extremely important too when we start talking about social influencers or really start talking about how do we more equitably Uh, address the uh, health system or our community in terms of responding is that we we certainly uh, need to look at how how these services are provided, uh, but we also need to look at the structure and the system uh, that are in there. And there are plenty of examples of how, because of individual attitudes and behaviors, um, that sometimes the system doesn't allow uh, or, or for things to be equitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So, so to take that a little step further, just for folks who are listening, who may, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes related to health equity and health equality, although we've just really sort of dispelled, I think, what many of those stereotypes are. It's about understanding what people actually need versus taking this, you know, one size fits most approach. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of people would believe that when, when they begin hearing conversations around health equity or even solutions to beginning to solve disparities, right? Mm -hmm. They begin thinking about, well, that means that's less for me. Mm. So that's that's mm. where the, the, you know, the ego and the id sort of take over, right? Um, yes, yes. You're going to take something away from me to give it to someone else. But I don't think we're talking about a redistribution. No, no. I think we, I would put it this way, um, Trent, it's, it's, you know, it's not like a zero sum game. All right. So it's sort of 
Um, and I think around a lot of these issues, when we start talking about social factors and social conditions, and particularly economics and resources, um, it, it we do, uh, and, and particularly those of us, myself included, who are you know very privileged, and uh, for whatever reason, you know we are um, where we are. Um, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of luck, and a lot of people who helped see what opportunities we needed. Okay, to get to um, the life and the lifestyle that we have now, but. Clearly, this notion that if we focus on uh, one community or group of people uh, or you know, race, ethnicity, um, sex, um, you know, whatever the category is out there, that if we are helping to address the issue of equity, um, that somehow we're taken away from the whole. And that's just not, not true. Actually, there's a, there's a benefit and a gain for the whole when you have healthier people and for our society. I mean, we've seen that. I mean, when people are healthy, they live longer. They have a longer quality of life. They contribute to our economy, okay? There's a personal fulfillment of happiness um, that we see in our society and as a country. So we are experiencing, uh, so we, we do all benefit and rise from that. I, I think in, in some cases, Trey, to be honest with you, sometimes the, the political dialogue and conversation sort of wraps around the notion that, you know, you know what you do for one is taken away there and there. But if you look at the social science and you look at even the economics of these things, of improving the health uh, and addressing it from a community standpoint, it's much more sustainable. There is a cost benefit, it's much cheaper to prevent than, you know, and you're familiar with um, the cost of the medical system at the end of life there. So there are just really tangible benefits there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Roughly 60% of uh, all Uh, bankruptcies occur um, because of some sort of medical event, right? A significant illness. And about about 40% of those um, will occur within the last 12 months of life. And so much to your point, if we as a healthcare system in its broadest sense can begin addressing these Uh, social influencers and and being able to create an upstream approach, um, a a responsive upstream approach, then then we all benefit in an economic sense. You know, the cost of of not addressing this is certainly greater than the cost of addressing it. I mean, I think there are some statistics that point to about $93 billion worth of cost is in the, within the healthcare system is born out of um, uh, uh, issues related to disparity. And I suspect it fits into all of these four buckets that, that we've talked about. Similarly, you know, just as an aside, we also know that there are populations that um, that suffer very differently and disproportionately um, from really treatable and preventable diseases like hypertension, which we know leads to um, uh, end-stage renal disease and disproportionately so in communities of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, those are sort of known facts. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's 
a part of that is clinical care, but a part of that is health behavior. And a part of that is all related to these social influencers of health. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, you know, and as we, we sort of talk about it and have a conversation, you can really see how this uh, fits in. I was going to mention the point that you talked about bankruptcy at the end of life. We know that wealth and transfer of wealth uh, is also a leg up to, e e e to equity, okay, mm -hmm. in our society. Um, and being able, family members uh, who can transfer that wealth or pass it on through inheritance, but that's, that's sort of a leg up um, uh, in that. So and that's really important for people. I mean, you know, I think by and large, if we look at sort of the way we live, don't we all want to be able to leave something to people who are very important to, to impart something meaningful to them. It looks really differently for a lot of different people, but I think that's a, a really important um, uh, social consideration. So, so do you see this as sort of being the sort of the approach of community-based philanthropy related to health, um, uh, health disparities and more pointedly health equity? Do you see this as being sort of the tipping point that we're arriving at now? Because it seems as though through our, even through our conversation, the conversation over the uh, over the years, over the couple, last couple of decades, has changed pretty dramatically. I suspect the approaches to that have too. So, what are some of the things that you've seen, or uh, things that that you think are maybe even more needed? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think certainly in health philanthropy, we've seen it change, and I think philanthropy, uh, if you look at you know, its role in terms of convening and creating, um, helping to set the agenda and having conversations. For example, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation that I was affiliated with um, had done that over uh, the years. And we see how these issues, you know, tobacco smoking is, is one of those. Um, I would say, yeah, I, I think in philanthropy, we've seen this change. A lot of place-based uh, foundations um, and healthcare conversion foundations like us have um, sort of a, a, adapted a framework that is what I call upstream and focusing on the social determinants of health um, in selecting those issues. I think they're also looking at like, how do we have impact in, in community? Uh, how do we work collaboratively? Um, how do we help um, with our resources, how do we fund uh, collective impact and collective action efforts that are taking shape mm -hmm. and bring together all the players of a particular system to come together and find solutions um, that can be implemented. Or we can find changes to um, policies by helping to shape policies um, and also helping to make changes in the, in the system so that people benefit. Um, that's a big, big impact. So a lot of foundations are changing uh, in positioning that way. Just as a contrast, um, Trent, you know, in the past, foundations were seen as like, oh, I want to go get some money. I want to get a grant, okay? <laughs> and then my nonprofit friends were like, okay, I got the grant. I'm going to go do the grant. I think now it's more of a partnership. And here uh, with the Foundation for a Healthy High Point, um, the nonprofits that we invest in, they are our uh, funded partners. Um, so we will, and we're working with them in a way 
um, not just to provide some resources, and we will, of course, continue to do that, but how can we work with them so that we can bring resources to them so they can be change makers in their communities, so they can improve the infrastructure, and they can start looking at their work beyond their four walls and look at their work. And we have great partners here at High Point, folks who are already doing this and, and coming together. And, and I'm looking forward to working with them and supporting those, those types of efforts. You know, another part of philanthropy is, you know, um, being a place-based community, uh, not a community foundation, but a place-based foundation is how we can kind of leverage other funders, you know, to come in um, and work with us and partner and how we can bring in strategic um, what I call strategic partners and experts who can um, help work with us uh, in our community. But most importantly, you know, it is about um, the partnership. It's about working collaboratively and bringing the resources that we're so fortunate to have um, and, and have it work in the community in a way that is changing these upstream issues, that is influencing the social factors that can improve our health outcomes uh, early in the life cycle, but certainly throughout all parts of that life cycle. Yeah, it's what you say. It, it strikes me as uh, it's a it's a movement from uh, it, what you what you said really struck me um, in in the past. Uh, your friends who worked in nonprofit, it was okay. I get the money for the grant now. I go do the grant. It's the difference between a transactional approach to systemic response. Uh, or responsiveness, um, and more a shift towards um, a transformational response to a sustainable systemic response. Yes, definitely. That's exactly where we where we are and where we need to be as 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 one player in the community, right? As one partner uh, in our communities. How how can we become more transformational mm -hmm. in the way? that we work with individuals and the way that we make our investments into community. Right, because that really is the shift between building a clinic from, from to use an example, I think we talked some moments ago, between building a bricks and mortar clinic to actually taking something um, to, the, to the community, to the census tract, to the, to the uh, to the neighborhood where it has the potential to have the greatest impact. It's that difference between one size fits most um, or everybody needs the same solution to let me take the solutions that actually um, are most effective and most impactful to those populations, right? Yeah, and I think philanthropy sort of been the, the, the third sector here. I mean, you know, government um, um, is, is limited and when it comes to government, just like everyone else, I want those dollars to be used on things that are going to work. Those are sure. hard-earned tax dollars. Sure. Um, you know, the private sector, um, you know, they have their interests as well, um, helping to create jobs and wealth in our community. And I think foundations and philanthropies like um, the one, like 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 our work here, we can take risk in working with communities, and we can fund those things that uh, government and the private sector uh, are not incentivized to, to fund as well. So um, anyway, I'm excited about, uh, and Trent, I don't know how much time we have, but I, I did want to share 
one of the things that we're doing with the start of my work here um, and with our uh, board of directors is that we're going to be taking a look at our strategy, mm -hmm. um, sort of revisiting after um, five years or seven years of operation. It's sort of revisiting our strategy, um, how we go about um, impacting or trying to you know, help be a change maker, a change leader in our community. And then also take a look at um, you know, the areas that we're focusing upon and do this through the lens of um, social influences or that upstream approach, um, which we've moved that way as a foundation. And I think this is going to kind of move us in a way that we're doing it in a much more intentional and much more purposeful way um, as well. Um, and then one aspect of the strategic planning that we will um, soon launch and start is that there's a community engagement piece, right? So we wanna look back and see what work did we do uh, over the past five years and what impact did we make and have? A lot of good things have happened, a lot of good work. And then we wanna kind of revisit, you know, what are the needs out there? How have they changed uh, over the past several years? Um, and then we want to really engage the community and hear from the community. What is it that resonates with you? Well, you know, speak with individuals, stakeholders, um, and really have that input into our process so that we can um, sort of redirect, uh, um, reaffirm uh, our work and moving forward, um, that would be that we'll have a much more responsive agenda or that we can have even greater impact. So. Sure. Interesting. So I have a couple more questions for you, Curtis, if I might. Sure. You know, we, we've just now lived through, you know, the most difficult, challenging, you know, uh, year of our collective existence, right? Uh, we've come off a year of a pandemic. We're still in the th much in the throes of it, though it seems as though we're, we're making great strides towards getting to the other side of it. Do you think that this period of time that we've come through has given place-based philanthropy organizations or even the larger healthcare, the healthcare system opportunity to sort of reflect upon or even see that we've been able to shine a bit of light to highlight some of these things that we've talked about. These, you know, we've highlighted, I think, many factors related to vaccination uptake, right? Mm -hmm. um, we know that how that disproportionately affects different communities for a lot of different reasons. But do you think that it has helped push this conversation forward? Um, and do you think it's given us a greater amount of awareness? Sure. And I, you know, I, I like that question. And, and, you know, I was talking earlier about me sort of reflecting back. And I think a lot of us have done that. And I think we're, we're doing it now, too, because it's uh, with the creation of the vaccine and the supply increasing, um, we're all a bit more hopeful. Um, you know, it was a year ago that everything this week that things just kind of shut down. Right. And, and, and I remember I was in New York City the weekend before in a studio audience with about 500 people sitting shoulder to shoulder. And then a couple of days later, all the news comes out, like, you know, there are cases in New York, there's cases, it's not just, you know, when it, and I think that traumatic experience, right, that we all felt of like, 
shutting down, staying in. Um, we have, it's been horrible, but I think out of that, there's been a lot and there will be even more reflection and more coming together. You know, I'm just so moved by um, people, you know, we have the Zoom and kind of this virtual connection, but still yet um, we're finding a way to connect. And I'm connecting with people who, it's not family, right? It's not that first tier of friends and close friends, but it's even with strangers in a way of like having conversations um, with them. So I'm very optimistic and I think systems and, and like, you know, philanthropy, health philanthropy, these healthcare systems um, um, are, we're, we're all sort of responding. I mean, it's been a horrible lesson uh, in terms of disparities and how pandemics impact some folks and, and, and not others. Um, and I'm hopeful that we can take those lessons. And when we, you know, on, on a small scale, even if you're doing your, your annual strategic planning or your three-year strategic plan, that this is new information and we're having different conversations than we had five years ago, mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's changed our collective reckoning for sure. You know, Curtis, we've got just a few minutes left. I want to ask uh, you just one last question. We've talked about a lot of really important things today. Um, I've learned a tremendous amount and I, I'm so great, grateful to have really been able to participate in this with you. If there are one or two things that, that you think about um, that you'd really like for folks who are watching this or listening to this later, um, that you'd really like for them to take away, what would that be? Wow, um, yeah, that's a good question here. Uh, you know, I, it, it's, it's gonna sound corny, okay? <laughs> but you know, I, I want uh, people, um, you know, to, to be encouraged. I, I think it's encouragement that we need, that these issues don't divide us, okay? Our differences, the disparities, um, the lack of uh, equality, they don't divide us. They should bring us together. Um, and that when we all connect, uh, we all become um, the better for it. And I, I think I know that's what I've learned uh, over the past year. And that's what I would want people to, to take away. Um, and then to be a part of, you know, in a very intentional way, no matter what your life is or where you are, um, to um, figure out, you know, where can you um, play a role in addressing these issues of, of disparities? And it starts with, you, with the individual, you know, own health, you know, own health care um, and those that we, we love and care about, making sure that we are healthy yeah. um, and that we're connected with the system of care, but that our social environment is also one that's going to um, keep us safe and well. Sure. I appreciate that. You know, it's interesting as it, uh, in our own organization, um, we've gotten lots of organizational responses to COVID-19 over the last year. I've, I've had the, I don't know that I call it a unique privilege, but it's been interesting to have to craft those messages um, out to the staff on a frequent basis. And I always end them with sort of the same uh, thought, which is our responsibility is to take care of ourselves 
and each other. And, and um, I would love to say that Lester Holt on NBC Nightly News stole that from me, but I don't think he did. Um, but, but I think that's what you're talking about, really, it's, <laughs> is that we've got a collective sense of responsibility um, to take care of ourselves, our own health and well-being, but also to do our part to, to help um, improve the health and well-being of others, because when we're all healthy, we all benefit. Thank you for joining us for our discussion, Exploring Our Community, Distilling Health Disparities. Join us next time as we welcome special guest, Dr. Homa Mugsy, Hospice of the Piedmont's Vice President of Medical Affairs and Chief Medical Officer for Exploring Our Community, Navigating Health Disparities at End of Life. Together, Trent and Dr. Mugsy will explore how health disparities shape end of life experiences and what Hospice of the Piedmont is doing to create more equitable solutions. We hope you will join us. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series. <laughs>